In the last episode, I introduced you to the congregation, to the building. In this episode, I'm going to share with you the individuals who were there that day so that you can understand and fully comprehend what happened. And I'm sharing this with you firsthand in real time what I have witnessed, what I have seen, what I have experienced. And I'm sharing it with you to inspire you. So please continue watching and subscribe to the channel so that you can be notified when the future episodes will be posted. So this is the last day of Passover Saturday morning. Mrs. Lori Lynn Gilbert K. of blessed memory, may she rest in peace. I just want to give you a little bit of background so you can understand the loss and the tragedy of the senseless murder and killing of this gem of a human being, Mrs. Lori Kay. I first met Lori Kay in the early 90s. She was best friends with one of the mothers of our preschool who recently lost a child to crib death, a five-month-old child. I conducted the funeral and at Shiva in their house is the first time I met Lori Lynn Gilbert Kay. When she looked at me, she welcomed me and I felt a very, very gentle, kind-hearted person. After spending seven days Shiva helping out her best friend's family, Lori decided to join our congregation together with her husband, Dr. Howard Kay. They joined our congregation and began coming Saturdays to the synagogue. As traditional, I would invite people over to our homes to meet my wife and children and to spend Shabbat dinner together. And Lori and Howard Kay were a regular Shabbat guests. At the time, Lori was working at Wells Fargo Bank and we were at the stage where we had our conditional use permit um, approved by the city to begin building and we needed a construction loan. A conventional bank did not want to loan us the money as they don't specialize in loaning money to a nonprofit. However, Lori Kay introduced me to a gentleman at she knows at Wells Fargo in downtown San Diego. We met and he agreed to extend to us a construction loan so that we can begin building our beautiful synagogue. Lori was the catalyst in allowing us to be able to have the opportunity so we could get a loan and begin the construction. This was in 1996. There were many of times that we went down to go over the documentation before I signed it. I remember one of the times I was driving down with Lori. This is another brush with death. When we were driving down the freeway, Lori was sitting beside me in the front seat and I was driving. As I was driving, a wheel from a car got dislodged and the wheel came right towards us. And this is on a very fast freeway going 65, 70 miles per hour. And Lori shouts out, gets my attention. I see the wheel 
and you have that split second reaction to make sure you're not going to hit anyone on the right or on the left. I was able to get into the left lane and avoid hitting the tire straight on. At the time, Lori was pregnant with her daughter, Hannah. Realizing, taking a sigh of relief, that both of our lives were spared from a horrific head-on accident, which God protected us. The expression that the Talmud says that when you are going on a mission, then a messenger does not get hurt. God protects them. And we were driving down to Wells Fargo headquarters in downtown San Diego to sign the construction documents. Lori is a gem of a human being as she became involved in all the activities at the synagogue. She was a volunteer par excellence. One of the members that she met at the congregation was the late Martha Tressman of blessed memory. She was a young mother with two little children who was diagnosed with cancer at a very young age. And she went through two bouts of fighting it with chemo. Lori became her primary volunteer caretaker as she was at her home all the time, preparing foods, looking after the children. She would take her to her chemo appointments. She was literally like a sister to Martha. Lurie gave so much of herself to help Martha. This is just one of the examples of who Lori Kay was. A heart as generous as wide the world is. Lori was always at the synagogue, at every event that occurred, always with a smile, always there to greet people. She was one of the kindest, generous individuals who would always make sure not to miss a birthday or anniversary, will always bring you a gift, and was her life was about chesed, kindness, and giving. That's what she was all about. And I've said this at her memorial service. Lori was killed when she was 60 years old. What people need to live 120 years to accomplish, Lori did that in 60 years. The kindness and generosity of Lori was literally legendary. Just before the last days of Passover, Lori came to our home with a bouquet of flowers and wrote a beautiful note. I brought one of those flowers to the memorial service to talk about Lori's kindness. So this is a little bit of a background who Lori is. She grew up in a family who was not traditional, Judaism, very reformed, very assimilated. Her father was a podiatrist for the local charges football. But as far as Judaism and observances, they were very assimilated until they came and they met us at Chabad. Howard began learning and studying, and Howard and I became as close as brothers can be. For the next 23, 25 years, Howard would spend every single Saturday afternoon at our home for lunch and then studying, and he was a member of our family, as well as Lori and Hannah. We were close as brothers. That is the background of our relationship with the K family. Coming that day on April 27, 2019 to the synagogue, 
Lori's mother passed away just a few months before and she came to memorialize her mother. Her daughter Hannah came down from Los Angeles to be with her mother as she's going to be observing the Yisker, the memorial service for her mother. Howard is in synagogue, Hannah is in synagogue, and Lori is there. Lori is in the lobby, standing there to greet people as they come in. In addition to the K family who were at synagogue, there were about 50 other people that were there. There were children of all ages, all of my grandchildren that live in California were there. My, my children were as well there. The newlyweds, our only daughter, who just got married two weeks before Passover, were there with us. Her husband, Rabbi Schneier, is a seasoned Torah reader, reads Torah so beautifully. So he was honored to read the Torah that day as he was standing on the pulpit where the Torah is reading from the Torah. In addition, there was Mr. Oscar. Mr. Oscar used to live in the coastal communities in San Diego when he looked to relocate and to purchase a home in our community. When he met with me and told me that he's interested in moving to our community, I embraced him and his family. I really wanted to bring them to our community. And one of the lines I shared with him was that God decides man's footsteps. Quoting from King David in the book of Psalms, chapter 31, God decides man's footsteps. So when you're going to move Oscar from the coastal community to Poway, Rancho Bernardo, it's because God needs you here. And we never know why God needs you here. Because King David wrote that when a person moves their feet geographically, it's for a purpose and a reason. So there was a reason why Oscar and his family were chosen to move to our community. And like I told Oscar, you may know, you may not know, but it's all in the hands of God. Oscar would come every Saturday to synagogue. He's a veteran. He served in the U.S. Army and he would come and sit in the very front row of the synagogue. That was his place. Every Saturday, he would sit right there. As I would give the sermons, we would make eye contact. And this went on for the couple years that they've been living here already. Saturday morning, April 27, 2019. For reasons unknown to any of us, other than God's placement of Oscar, who usually sits in the front of the synagogue, sat in the back row of the synagogue. The last row, which is parallel to the door to the lobby. You will understand later why God orchestrated that, because Oscar cannot explain till today why on that Saturday morning did he decide to sit in the back row. In addition, there's another gentleman. He is a active border patrol agent. His name is Mr. Jonathan. Jonathan lives three hours away from Poway. Three hours a drive to come from El Centro to Poway. He has recently discovered that he wants to get closer to Judaism. He wants to discover his roots and start learning about Judaism as he did not grow up with it. And he began coming to our congregation a couple years ago, just on the major holidays. 
This morning, April 27, 2019, Jonathan made the drive from El Centro to Poway to be with us for the last day of Passover. Jonathan was off duty at the time of the last day of synagogue, so he was not armed, but I will share with you why I'm mentioning his name. Another gentleman there was Zach. He's a Russian immigrant who in the late 80s was able to get out of Russia after growing up behind the Iron Curtain where Judaism was so oppressed during those days in Russia. He moved to San Diego with his wife and two children. Zach became the synagogue's contractor who has volunteered to always be there for the synagogue for all of its construction needs. Zach as well was an integral part of what happened during that day. Our youngest grandson, Yitzchak, was just an infant. He was in his carriage, in his stroller, in the lobby, Saturday morning, April 27, 2019. In addition, there were some visitors from Israel and other members of the community who were there, who came for prayer services and for Yitzchak, the memorial services. Everyone was in great spirits. Everyone had a beautiful Passover. San Diego is just a beautiful place to be. The weather was superb. And after celebrating eight days together, singing the prayers that there is the group of Psalms that we recite every single day known as the Hallel services, that we're chanting praises to God every day because we're celebrating our freedom. We're celebrating Passover. Passover is a recognition and appreciation of 3,000 years ago. After 200 years of slavery, there was the Exodus. Exodus for us to be free people. We relive it every single Passover. For 3,300 years, we don't miss an opportunity, a year that we can sit around the Seder table and sing praises to God, thanking God, and realizing the ripple effect, realizing, recognizing. We say that at the beginning of the Passover celebrations, if the Exodus wouldn't happen, we would still have been slaves in Egypt. But because of this Exodus, we are now free people. So we thought, and we think about it. The days of the Holocaust began 84 years ago. We lost 6 million, over 350,000 little children. The loss to the Jewish world was insurmountable, plus all the other millions that were killed during World War II. World War II ended, and so we thought that we could take a sigh of relief that the hatred the enemies have been defeated. Coming to America, who eventually opened the gates, welcomed us in as a safe haven. Seeing Israel being established, after 2,000 years, the Jewish people finally have a home, Israel. The whole world began recovering from the horrific darkness that humanity has ever seen of the Holocaust. And finally, is able to begin recovering from this horrific, terrible Holocaust. And thinking, coming to the shores of America, seeing the Statue of Liberty, 
realizing that we could live in the land of the free. Many who came over have left the religion behind. They were too traumatized, too hurt, too decimated by the events. Many came here to regroup, to rebuild, and to begin life anew. No one ever, ever would have imagined that in United States of America would we once again have to be subjected to pogroms, to massacres, to horrific killings, targeting Jews, just like in Germany, in Poland, and in Russia, the Ukraine, throughout Europe, just 80 years ago. And here, in the shores of America, who would have ever thought that we will be subject to this? That our children are going to be living in fear that someone can come into our synagogue and shoot it up with the intentions of exterminating every single Jew that was there. This reality did not hit us until six months before when the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh was shot up and 11 beautiful souls were lost there. It was a wake-up call to all of us. Is this really happening? Could this really happen in the shores of America? Targeting Jews for no other reason just because they're Jewish. Six months later to the day, Saturday morning, April 27, 2019, at around 11 o'clock, the scene repeated itself. Where a 19-year-old white American boy living just two miles away from the synagogue drives up after premeditating planning the massacre his intentions were to emulate what happened previously in New Zealand at a mosque where a terrorist shot every single parishioner no one survived the story to tell it so much so that that terrorist had a GoPro camera on his head streaming his massacre live. The shooter that came April 27, 2019 wrote a manifesto that he posted it on the dark web. It was even someone on Facebook was able to read it, alerted the the agencies that something imminent was going to happen. This 19-year-old researched, planned it all out by purchasing the gun and the ammunition. He also purchased a GoPro cam that he was planning to stream the shooting live. He had enough ammunition to slaughter all of us. Another repeat of what happened at the mosque. But when he arrived in his car, he couldn't figure out how to use the GoPro cam, so he left it in his car. He exited his car. He took his AR-15 that he purchased locally here at a gun store. In order for a 19-year-old to purchase a rifle, an AR-15, an assault military-style rifle, you are required to have a hunter's license. He applied for the hunter's license. He received the hunter's license. However, it wasn't valid until July 2019. Here we are in April 2019, when he goes into the gun store to purchase 
a weapon to murder, to do a mass shooting. The agent asks him for his hunter's license. He shows it to them. The agent did not notice that it wasn't valid yet. Ran his name and got authorization from the DOJ to offer and to sell him this military-style AR-15 rifle. Since then, the DOJ realized that they failed. The system failed. There should have been a red flag that he did not have a hunter's license that was valid. He should have not been able to purchase the AR-15. But the system failed him, failed Lori, failed all of us. By allowing this 19-year-old to purchase a weapon of mass destruction, to create this mass shooting, why in the world should anyone allow a 19-year-old to purchase a military-style AR-15? For what possible civilian purpose does a 19-year-old need an AR-15 assault rifle? But yet, he was able to buy it. He arrives at the synagogue around 11 o'clock that morning. He exits his car. He is dressed up in camouflage clothes. He has enough bullets to shoot us all out. He walks up the steps to the synagogue. The door was open, which hindsight is miraculous that the door was open. Otherwise, he would have gone to the sanctuary, which is right there on the left, and would have shot his way through the glass doors, and the massacre could have been so much worse. He arrives at the lobby. I was leading services that morning. I saw my son, Rabbi Mendel, my successor, who's currently the lead rabbi at the congregation, was talking to Lori in the lobby. I was standing by the front, by my pulpit, by the ark, looking, had a bird's eye view of everyone sitting and what's going on in the lobby. I saw Lori there. I saw my son talking to her. My son comes in. This is during the Torah reading, towards the end of the Torah reading. We're up to, I believe, the fourth reading. And I realized that I'm going to have a long stretch of work ahead of me. That I'm going to be leading the famed Haftarah of Isaiah 10, which the prophet talks about the coming of the Messiah, the end of the world order as we know it, the end of sadness, the end of war, the end of hate and jealousy, a time of messianic times, which I was so looking forward to read. And I also knew that I'm going to have to deliver a spirited sermon to talk about the future of Judaism, the future of the world. Also, I'm going to be leading the memorial service. And then I'm finally going to lead the final prayer service with the priestly blessing. So I knew I had about an hour's work nonstop ahead of me. 
So I figured it would be best if I go out to my office to freshen up and to prepare myself for this long stretch. As I enter the lobby, I see Lori's beautiful smile when we greet each other. Please subscribe to this channel so that you can be notified when the next episode will be available. And thank you for joining me on this journey as I share with you in real time from firsthand on site what happened minute by minute. Although there was this horrible moment of darkness and we lost Lori Lynn Gilbert Kay in such a horrific massacre, that was a momentarily darkness. But yet, God's presence was so noticed there. There are so many miracles that unfolded that day that I'm going to be sharing with you beginning the next episode. Please join in the next episode as I will continue the actual shooting event as it unfolded. Thank you for watching. God bless you. God loves you.